I don't know about you guys, but um, I, uh, I really like things to go perfectly. <laughs> That's what I strive for. Is I, am I the only perfectionist? <laughs> Maybe look for the perfect setting. You're not tripping over chords or <laughs> timing things, but you'd always hear this uh, phrase, you know, I think, therefore I am, and then also I, I mess up, therefore I'm human. Um, there's just something in this world, right, that we, and in us that we know is deeply flawed, right? We, we want the perfect thing. We want a perfect world. We want a perfect society. And, and I think it would be easy to have a perfect society if it wasn't for people, right? That there is this brokenness in us, this, this imperfection that gnaws at us, and, and uh, it's uncomfortable. And I, there's a there's something wonderful to that. Uh, it's there for a reason, is that there is a perfect world. And there is a perfect kingdom that we're called to. And we have a perfect God who is there. The, the thing is, is that the longing of our heart, this desire to have this perfect life, this perfect uh, relationships, these, these, this perfect world, perfect society, perfect kingdom, aren't bad. In this world right now, seemingly uh, frustrating, because we keep messing it up. But the longing is there because there's actual fulfillment. And that's what Jesus really comes to talk to us about. This, this series, the sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as he begins to declare his kingdom, it's a, it, it's a, a call to a whole different way, of, to God's right-side-up world, a, a way of life that is absolutely perfect and good. It's one of the reasons that the Sermon on the Mount is so challenging for us. It's one of the reasons why it sometimes it's so hard for us to hear. It, it calls us to a, a different place. It, it doesn't do things the way that people do them because people don't do things perfectly. We mess it up. We've messed up government. We mess up business. We mess up families. We mess up relationships. We mess up our own lives. But God calls us to something much better. And, and if we've been going through this summer and the Sermon on the Mount, we see how God's perfect way so far is so different than ours. That the people of his time were expecting a Messiah, but an imperfect one. They were expecting a military Messiah that would come through and just conquer the Romans, right? Set up at just an earthly realm where you'd have a, a kingdom with borders and boundaries. But Jesus came and said, that's not the way my kingdom works. And he begins, remember the, those keys that we gained at the very beginning and the Beatitudes to understanding God's perfect society to, to be able to understand his kingdom to understand the gospel which is the good news of that kingdom and it begins it is personal first before it's ever public it's personal before anything gets political right it has it starts here which was the opposite of how humans work we like to put kings and people in authority and power to impose their way and if we have righteous kings and righteous uh people in charge of the media and righteous people in charge of the educational system and righteous people like in charge of everything then we think that we're going to form a perfect society and jesus said no it starts here there's a transformation of the individual of the heart that begins and then as it begins to grow out that's where the kingdom of god begins to spread and we, we saw that the kingdom of god isn't just something that that is this personal thing but that it it's something that is intended to grow that the God's people are called to be salty, to, to maintain this kingdom mentality, this kingdom lifestyle, so that we can shine the light of God wherever we go. And in that, we recognize that his kingdom is something that requires faith and faithfulness. 
that we have to trust God in his way. It's not going to be like our way. He's not going to always make sense to us. We have to trust him, right? It's in order to stay salty and be able to shine the light of his truth. But we also have to shine the light of his truth. It takes faithfulness. That the kingdom of God isn't filled with a bunch of people who have intellectual acknowledgement that Jesus taught good things. It's people who actually submit their lives to living a whole different way. And as we do that, that we recognize that the kingdom of God is absolutely worth it. It's the only way of life that begins to fill our soul. It's the only way of life that begins to turn this upside-down world right back up again, starting with our own hearts and then in our own homes and our own communities and beyond. And so uh, understanding this, Jesus began, and we started last week, was Jesus talked about who he came not to abolish the law. That's the rule of God's perfect kingdom. Why would he do that? He is the lawgiver. He didn't come to abolish it, which many think. But he said, no, I came to fulfill it. But how does he fulfill? Not the way that we always just think. He didn't come to just fulfill the law like he fulfilled just the terms of a covenant and a contract, which he did. But also to fill it up, to fill it to the full. And to make sure that we got this point, Jesus gives us six descriptions, like opportunities for us to see how he fulfills the law and what the law looks like when it's fulfilled. And last week, in a very great sermon, we talked about four of those. And if you missed those, then I encourage you to go back to that. But there are two more, which I think are the linchpins to everything. And remember that in this series, or this particular portion of it, Jesus isn't giving us a, a, his theological you know, treaty on these different topics of murder and adultery and divorce and giving oaths or anything like that. He's, he's showing us what it looks like when the law is fulfilled. What does it mean? And in these last two descriptions or these, these illustrations he gives, he talks about really the core of all of the law, why it is even there, and what does that look like when it is fulfilled. So the law, which wouldn't bring just external regulation, which is what most people think laws do, just keep the beast caged inside, right? Just keep us from doing nasty things that we would want to on the inside. But a fulfilled law transforms us from the inside out, so we don't need a cage. And in today's text... He really talks about what is, how does that happen? That's probably one of the most powerful uh, portions, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount, on the most profound things. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, is where we are going to be today. And again, he's in the middle of giving us some examples of what it's like to have the law fulfilled, but he makes a really important transition here, which is why this became the second portion of this sermon, right? The other ones were very, uh, very direct laws, about, you know, not to murder, not to commit adultery, you know, uh, not to, you know, or if you're going to divorce, how to do it correctly, how, now all those types of things, like very specific. And these last two, he goes much broader. And it still has the same pattern, though. He starts with, you have heard, right? This is how you've read the law. This is the way humans have interpreted it. This is the way that it's always been interpreted. And then he goes on, as the lawgiver, is to come down and to, to explain what we got wrong but also fulfill the law like to like a balloon blowing it up like making sure that its purpose is there he fills the law and he explains it to us and he talks about two important things that all the laws around the first is justice and the second one is love because both of those are a law as well so matthew five thirty eight, it reads you have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say 
do not resist an evil person. Now, I found this problematic. I had some time where I got to spend in law school. I know others have some training in that too. This is a very, like the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is the basis of our common law, right? It's what allows there to be justice in the land, right? Allows, so make sure that uh, when that was put into there, the purpose was to, to make sure that there would be right justice in the world. So like if somebody stole a loaf of bread, you know, you didn't, you know, cut off their head. Right? You wouldn't put them 40 years in jail for you know, you know, putting a piece of gum on the ground. Right? Or if you had somebody who you know, murdered an entire family, it's not like they just get a slap on the wrist and go home. That, that the law was there to make sure there would be equal justice. And it was there to protect both the victim and the perpetrator because people are imperfect. And God had to say to each other, to us, listen, the punishment has to match the crime. That's a good thing. So if you pull out of here on today after church or whatever, and you bump into somebody's bumper, you know, you don't go to life in prison. I think that's a good thing. It protects us. It protects us from people who would twist the law, who would use it to abuse us and, and those type of things. So when you look at this and Jesus says, well, the law says this, but I say don't resist an evil person. My first reaction is what? So that bad people who were just saying they should get away with anything and that followers of Jesus just should be doormats? No. Jesus is showing us something much bigger, something much more important. You see, the law is there to, to help make sure there's justice, but people, because we're imperfect, and, and when somebody wrongs us, we want retribution. That's what we want. And the thing is, is that we want to make sure somebody suffers if they make us suffer. And equal suffering somehow just never really feels satisfying. Like, you want to stick it to them just a little bit more, right? That's why we have things in our law that you don't just have, you can't just sue somebody for actual damage, but also you could have, uh, you know, pain and suffering. There could be punitive things as well, like that just to get them just a little bit. And if that feels good, you know, because it shows them to mess with me because I'm an imperfect person. And I really don't want justice. I want myself to be elevated. I want to be glorified. I want other people to serve me. And, and I'm clearly more important than you, right? So if you wrong me, you should suffer more than me. That's just justice. Because I'm a selfish, pride-filled, imperfect human being. And what happened is, is this wonderful law that God set up to, that really formed the basis of our legal system. It's a great law. People started to abuse that law. They began to go in and say, all right, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You wounded me. I'm going to let the law come down on you as hard as it possibly can. I'm going to abuse the legal system to give retribution. I want my pound of flesh. Now, just, yeah, I suppose. But is the kingdom of God really populated with such type of people? You know, in my 20 years of, of ministry, I've had some opportunity to to uh, deal with people who struggle with, you know, demonic forces and things like this. One thing I've noticed is that demons are very legalistic. That Satan is a legalistic dude, right? Probably a lawyer, right? That's <laughs> but they know the law. And they know the law because God is just, and they know God is just, and he's not going to violate that. So if the devil can trick you to giving rights to your life, 
opening up your life to him, he'll take advantage of that. And he knows that God won't kick him out because he legally has the right to be there. He's very good at being nitpicky about little tiny things, which is miserable. But that's where he's at. And a lot of times, that's what we people, that's how we treat one another. Eye for an eye. With our spouses. I'll treat you so well, 50-50 contract, right? If you're nice to me, well, then I'll be nice to you. If you do these things, then I'm going to do this. But I'm only going to give to you what I absolutely must. Um, in fact, the purpose of the law sometimes makes us look at what is the absolute minimum that I possibly can do for another person. And what's, what's what I can gain? What, what, what do I have the right to make sure that they give to me? That's what the law is all focused about. What is my rights? What can I get from you? And what do you have to give to me? And that is a cold, brutal way to live. And this is the way that a litigious society lives, in constant fear and always looking out for my own best. We are like, there was this uh, movie that came out um, way long ago, and you know, before Disney went crazy, they had this uh, Little Mermaid, right? They had the little... Um, uh, the, the seagulls on there, and they're all like, mine, 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 mine. That's us. This is the way that humanity has become. This is the way the demons are. This is, what, this is what the law makes us. If we stick inside this cage, we're all about what is mine. What can I get? What do you owe me? What do I not have to give to you? This is the law. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is what I deserve. And that's great as far as on a civil level in order to make sure that we don't abuse one another. But God's calling us as part of his kingdom outside of this world. Something better than that way of life. And I'm so grateful that in the kingdom of God, it's not always going to be about what do I have to give you? What do you have to give me? And that's the point here. Jesus is not violating the law here. He's saying sometimes we have the ability to go above and beyond. The legal system was never intended, the law was never intended to be a weapon to be used against other people. This law was there to set a standard so that people wouldn't be abused. That's why it was there. And he said, you know what? It's also legal to have grace and mercy. That's pretty important. That in the kingdom of God, it's not just about what's mine. In fact, I start to think of myself a whole lot less. I begin to have an outward focus. I have the capacity to do something more than the law demands. Sometimes there can be evil people. Instead of demanding a pound of flesh, if it's in their best interest, there might be something better. And the law does absolutely not prohibit me from showing grace. And so think about this on a practical level in your home. There are evil people living in your home. You're one of them. But there are others. Right? And they're going to wrong you, and you're going to wrong them. And if you can only have harmony if everybody pays their penance, then you're never going to have harmony in your home. You're going to have a very cold and a difficult place to live. But if one of those evil people you live with sins against you, what if you were the first to say, I forgive? What if you were the first not to go to war, to be litigious, this is what I deserve, but to be the first to say, there's grace and there's mercy. Not because you deserve it, but simply because you don't. This is a different kind of law. In fact, 
It's the same law, but it's a law that fulfills. It's a law that the way that God intended, a law that doesn't keep us trapped into a selfish cage of what I deserve, but a type of law that gives us the capacity to make mercy worth it. You see, you can't offer mercy unless it's going to be voluntary. You can't offer grace unless it's voluntary. Until there's a law that says, yes, you deserve to suffer, but I'm choosing to not make you suffer, there's really no mercy. People, bad people just get away with things. But if you have rights, and you have the opportunity to destroy somebody, and it would be legal for you to do so, and you choose not to, now that can change a heart. How do I know? Because that's what Jesus did for me. Jesus goes on and talks about how God's kingdom is not going to be cold and legalistic and how not to resist an evil person. Just in case we missed what this looks like, he gives us a couple examples. You find those next verses. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if you're sued in court and, you take your, and your shirt is taken, give them your coat too. And finally, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away those who want to borrow. And again, this is not a, you know, a deep theological dive in how Jesus says that we should just give to anybody. We shouldn't have to check somebody's worthiness to borrow our money or whatever. It's not, it's not saying that we should just let people punch us in the face and just be doormats. It's not what he's saying. He's saying the law is there. You have the right not to have any of those things happen. But now you also have the freedom to offer grace and mercy. You can do above and beyond, and God's kingdom people live outside of the cage. That's what we do. We have lifestyles of not living locked up in here saying, this is what you owe me, but what do you need? How can I serve? In fact, Jesus is calling us, saying the law being fulfilled is to, to do more than we're obligated to. That, that in Jesus' kingdom, what the law is fulfilled, it's not just eye for an eye, but it's to treat others better than they deserve voluntarily. And that's a different kind of society. That makes a different kind of relationship. That makes a different kind of family. Right? That makes a different kind of world when people treat each other better <laughs> than they deserve. And Jesus first came to show us what that was like. In fact, Scripture says we know what love is because Jesus first loved us. He and how did he do that? He died for us. I didn't deserve that. He gave me eternal life. I didn't deserve that. He gave me his Holy Spirit. I didn't deserve that. He gives me a hope in heaven. I don't deserve that. He puts me into his kingdom as not just a slave, but a citizen. I don't deserve that. He adopted me not just as a citizen, but into his own heavenly family. I didn't deserve that, but he gave it to me anyway. God doesn't owe me anything. And yet, he, he doesn't even owe me in this world any form of justice. I've been unjust. And yet he says, I will work all things together for your good because you're called according to my purposes and you love me. I don't deserve that and neither do you, but he does it. And who are we to, to say I can have all of this mercy and grace from God, but from you I'm going to demand my pound of flesh. In fact, Jesus later on, he gives a parable about this very thing. He says, the kingdom of God's like this. There is a man who owed a king lots of money, and the king was going through, and he was settling his books. And he, he comes across this guy and brings him up and says, hey, man, you owe like millions of dollars to me. Pay up. And the guy says, I don't have millions of dollars. I, I, even if I work my whole life, I'm not going to be able to get that. Have mercy on me. And the king says, okay. That's not eye for an eye. That's not tooth for a tooth. This is a guy who's in, unable to be able to repay the king. 
And the king says, mercy and grace, not because I, you earn it, not because you deserve it, because I give it to you. And the man was so happy because his debts were set free. Can you imagine? And he leaves the, the king's palace and he's just excited and, and he sees a buddy of his, wrote him like 20 bucks and he says, hey man, what a great day. I get all my debts paid. I want my 20 bucks. Give it here. And the guy's like, oh dude, I just don't have that right now. And he was so upset because the man owed him his $20. So he goes, gets a police officer and says, arrest this horrible guy. He owes me money and he can't even pay back. Can you believe that? Well, the king hears about this and calls this ungrateful man back into. He says, is this what I heard is true? That you, after I forgave you so much, you couldn't even forgive your friend? Well, here's what's going to happen now. All that debt comes right back on you. And you, in fact, you're going to be imprisoned and you're going to be tortured until you can pay back every penny. We have received a lot because the kingdom of God doesn't work according to legalistic things. It's not the way it's going to be. That, that Jesus came to give us a better way. The law wasn't there so we could abuse one another. The law was there. It gave us a platform for grace and mercy. It gave us a standard by which we actually have the ability to treat one another better than what we deserve because we deserve something. We have a way to do that, and God's people are called to do that. That is being salty. That's shining the light of God's truth. This is the way that Christ's followers are to live. And it goes to all kinds of different people, right? You know, it, it might be somebody who's, you know, you got in a fight with an, an enemy. They hit you. You know what? You don't have to always hit back. You don't always have to destroy somebody. You can do that. You have the right to do that. But you don't always have to do that. Right? If somebody, you've wronged somebody and they take what's theirs, they sue you and even take your shirt. You know what? Yeah, they have everything they owe, but you know that that doesn't have to be your standard. You don't have to stop there. You know, you can even show them love and give them more than they deserve. That's okay. It feels unjust to us, but you can do it. Or how about this? What if it's an enemy, an absolute enemy, a soldier in the Roman Empire working for these pagan gods, working for this awful emperor who's destroying your people, and he has the right to make you carry his, his stuff for a mile? You pick it up for this enemy of God, this person who is destined for destruction. Do you have, you're going to take his stuff and just go a mile because you have to? Yeah, you have to do that. But you have the capacity to go above and beyond. Do you know that? That's not a violation of the law. In truth, it's a fulfillment of it. That we have the call and the capacity to see justice fulfilled so much more than we would ever see in a court of law. We do more than we're obligated to. So understand this, that justice is important. We want to live in a just world, but I want to live in a world that's more than just just. See, real justice always leaves room for love. In, God's, in the word of God, never a violation of God's commandments to add love to justice. Eye for an eye, yes. But I can voluntarily say, I'm going to do more. And it goes on in verse 43, he says this, now you have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. So he moves from justice to love because that's really the heart of it, right? And he goes from this point, and he says, you, you got this, this thing, love your neighbor, which is in Scripture, but hate your enemy, which is not in Scripture. How did they get there? Like Jesus even quotes this, love your neighbor, when somebody asks him, what's the most important commands? And he says, the first one's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But the second is, is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's in there several times. Really important commandment, right? To love your neighbor. But that's nowhere in Scripture to say, hate your enemies. So why would people say, you've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemies? Because people are imperfect, and we apply human logic to things. And so what we thought is we read, well, the law says to love your neighbor, right? That's to love the people that are around you, right? Love the people that would be your friends. And if it commands us to love them, but nobody else, it doesn't say love your enemies. So by logic, the law must want us to hate our enemies. That makes sense. Do you see how we do that? And it was taught that it was a moral thing to hate your enemies. So you've heard it said, this misapplication of law, we're supposed to love our neighbor, people around you naturally, but hate your enemies. But Jesus says, he wants you to love your enemies. Wait, how? How are you supposed to love your, the very fact that they're your enemies means you don't love them, doesn't it? That you're an enemy because you hate them. Which goes to the key is that hatred has never been the opposite of love, ever. That God is love and yet he hates wickedness. How could he do that? The opposite of love is selfishness and always has been. And so he begins here, if you want to love your enemies, how do you be selfless to your enemies? Look at what he has to say. He says, pray for those who persecute you. See, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. But if you're only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. That God's kingdom is going to look different. Everybody loves their neighbor and hates their enemies. That's the human way. That's the imperfect way, right? That's, that's, I'm giving to people what they deserve. If you're my friend, you're going to deserve my selflessness. But if, you, if I hate you, if you hate me, if you're mean to me, then I'm going to hate you back. That seems human logic. That's eye for an eye. Jesus said this is not the way of the kingdom of God. And he demonstrated that by treating us with a different kind of way. While we were still his enemies, says Scripture, Christ died for us. He prayed for us. Think of Jesus on the cross while he had enemies down there who literally drove nails into his hands and feet and tormented him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Was he violating this law? No. In fact, Jesus, other place, showed us that really everyone's our neighbor. He tells this wonderful parable, the Good Samaritan, in which the stinky Samaritan, the guy who was ethnically and politically at war with the Jew, was the one who came and helped the, uh, this beat-up Jewish businessman on the side of the road and and Jesus said, which, is he, which one's a neighbor? And they said, well, this Samaritan, and because of how he treated him. I, that's, Jesus is talking to us about who is our neighbor? People. They're on your sphere of influence. They're your neighbors. We're to love everyone. Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul tells us, listen, that our battle isn't against 
people, flesh and blood. It's never been that way. But who we think our enemies really is, and our real enemy is the devil. It's the principalities and dark forces, right? So that's the real enemy. But the people who we think are enemies, those who persecute us, those who hurt us, those who are nasty to us, we, we think of them as our enemy. And Jesus says, you know what? You can love them. It doesn't mean you like them. We're, you, they're an enemy because you hate them, right? You're an enemy because they hate you. They're an enemy because there's broken relationship. That's why it's an enemy. He doesn't say that your enemies will always be your friends, but he does say this, that even those whom you hate, even those who don't deserve it, even those who are aggressive against you, even those who are nasty, what you can be is you can be the opposite of that. You can rise above. You can give them what they don't deserve or do not expect. In fact, you can pray for people who are awful and who are actually persecuting you for the highest noble thing you can have, and that's being loyal to the king of kings. You can even pray for them, and God will hear it. The God of justice will actually hear it. That we have the capacity not to just wage war with each other, but to transform people's hearts because grace does that like nothing else. Prison oftentimes makes people just recognize that, that what they did was bad so they don't want to do that thing again. But grace transforms the the. the the, the criminal into somebody who would never want to commit a crime again. There's a really great musical that, that Les Mis that, that does a phenomenal job, I think, telling that story of the power of grace. You have this criminal, this, this guy who steals some bread and gets locked up in prison for a long time because eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? And he gets out. And, and as he leaves, he can't get a job because he's a, he's a convict, an ex-con, right? So no one would, would hire him. And so he gets taken in by this this monk and his wife who treated him with grace and mercy and, and desperate that night he robs the man of all of his silver. And then later he gets caught by the police and he's going to go back to prison for a long time and, and that, that cleric comes out and says, wait, 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 wait. No, he didn't steal from me. He says, I can't believe that you left so quickly. Yes, you're supposed to take the silver, but take these candlesticks as well that were worth so much more. And that act for the rest of the show, it changes him. It's a story of redemption, but you know that story only echoes the hearts and the lives of Christians throughout the millennia. That, that it is God's grace that transforms us. When his law comes into our life, that God, does, he, he should give us hell and the lake of fire. He should give us retribution. There should be lightning bolts every, everywhere. Like there should be holes in this church where, where we who are imperfect sinners who have who have gone against God Almighty, that he would smite us fully, but he doesn't. He calls us children. That his grace is new every single day. And every time I mess up, I'm able to go back to him. Communion, that's one of the reasons we take it every week. Do you recognize that God's goodness is for you all the time? Does that change you? Because God says what he's done for you, we can do for others. And we've experienced heart change. That's why we don't go to war with our enemies. That we go to peace with them. We go to before the throne of God for them and we pray for their salvation. We pray for changed hearts. We pray for God to do what we could never. Let's not live like the pagans. Are you tired of the pagan world? Look at the pagan world. Is it where we want to stay? Is this the kind of place that we want eternity to look like? So yeah, we don't have to love our enemies, but we are empowered to. And that kind of change transforms everything. So the old order, 
which we talked about a couple weeks ago, about Jesus talking about how he came not to, to abolish the law, but fulfill it. The old order of the law, which was important, was that, that, that you have the law confined us into these spaces. It kept us from poking out too many eyes in retribution. It made sure that bad people didn't get away with too much. But what it never was able to do was transform hearts. But the new order, when, when, when the law is fulfilled, the law of justice, the law of love is, is fulfilled, it transforms people from the inside out. And it's personal first. And then it goes public. And then it goes political. And it covers the world. And with that understanding, then, Jesus gives the hardest statement in all of Scripture. He says this, But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as a struggling perfectionist who is deeply flawed, right, I have a hard time with this. But you know what he's saying here? The word perfect he's saying there does not mean sinless. That's not the word he's using. He uses the word teleos, which means completion. It's like the end, like a, like a telephone goes far. He's saying, I want you to get to the end of justice. I want you to fulfill the law, make it completely full. Teleos means completion. And in that way, it's like the perfect level, right? The, the final step, the supreme stage. He says, God's calling us to be perfect, to get there, to have the law be fulfilled in us so that we can uh, have this transformation because God is that kind of God. That's the direction we're supposed to go. See, the, he wants, he's saying here, have the law perfected in you, like Get there. Let, stop just living inside the cage, but let the law do its purpose, its, its, its work in your life. Let it transform you. Let it change you. Because God is a God who doesn't need cages. And he wants to live around people who aren't in cages. Heaven's not going to be a big old holy zoo. He wants his children running around being awesome. We don't have to have courts in the kingdom of God. We have relationship. We have a home. So he says, be perfect. Be perfected. Get there, believers. Get there. And we're not going to get there if we stay in the cage. We're not going to get there if we continue to poke people's eyes out because they poked ours out. It's not going to happen. We're, we're not going to get there if we keep going to war with everyone who offends us. We're with imperfect people. They're going to offend us. They're going to do wrong. We are going to get there when we begin to fulfill the purpose of love and the purpose of justice. So what do we learn by this? How is this wonderful law fulfilled? How do we become teleos? How does that happen? Well, the first thing is the law is fulfilled by love, and we have to get that. And love is not liking somebody. Love is doing for another what's in their best interest, even more than I care about myself. That's what love is. It's the opposite of selfishness. So love is a selfless thing. And the law is only fulfilled when we become selfless, when we become less self-focused. It's less about mine, mine, mine. We become less legalistic about what do I deserve and what do I have to give you. We begin to look at others and say, what do they need and how do I give that to them? That's how the law is fulfilled. You know, I won't steal from somebody else if I stop thinking about my own needs, about what I should have and how I deserve what they have. If I start thinking about them, about how would this hurt them, what, what are their needs, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to call somebody a, a bad name if I'm thinking about really what's in the best interest of that person. If somebody pulls out in front of me in traffic, the cardinal sin of life, 
I'm not going to tailgate them and berate them from behind my wits and give them one of these, right? Because that's, they, they deserve it undeniably. But is that what they need for me to rub their nose and their, and their mistake? No. See, I can change how I live. I can offer a better kind of law. I can treat people better than they deserve, and I can do that regularly. I can stay salty. That's how I shine God's life. So think about, about this. And murder. If I treat people better than they deserve, I'm probably not going to kill them. And adultery. If I'm not thinking about myself, I'm thinking about my spouse and giving her better than, I, than she deserves, would it ever even come up? Or even divorce. I mean, most wouldn't even happen, but, but even those that have to happen, if I'm really thinking about I'm not going to abuse divorce in order to have my own selfish whims. I'm going to be like, this is not honoring to God if I have to go there. How about oaths? Would I even have to make one if I'm thinking about the other person? If I'm not thinking about how I can swindle somebody or just get what's mine? See, Jesus shows us that the law is fulfilled by love and we have to go there. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 22 about the greatest commandments. When asked what are the most important commandments, he said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's an important word in both of those, love. The law of love. Everything in the law was based upon love because the law is fulfilled with love. If you try to complete God's law to be a righteous person, but you aren't loving God, you're not choosing him first, and you're also not choosing others above yourself, there's no way you can possibly fulfill the law. That's why he says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commands. That's it. See, for thousands of years, we've been focused on the law. How do I keep that? But we missed the most important thing. And it wasn't just the Jews that did that. I think oftentimes Christians do that. Become so legalistic. What does the Bible say I can and cannot do? But we do not look at the world and say, how am I loving God in this? And how am I caring for other people in this? How am I giving to others more than they deserve? The purpose of law is justice. That's righteousness, right? That makes us righteous people. Which is important because when we look at God gave us those laws to make us righteous. They're fulfilled with love. We, then we say justice is also perfected by love. That the, the, even our, our judicial system, yeah, there's, there's a cold, hard way that we can live life. But we can go above and beyond that. We don't have to as people of this world, but as kingdom, people of God's kingdom, we are called to go above and beyond. We don't give people what they deserve. We give them what we need. And in this, justice has a higher perfection. It's able to do more than just the, this, the, the contractual legal obligations of this world could possibly do. Justice is perfected by love. So think about this. Legalism, then, is just outward justice. That's all it is. It's not evil in of itself. It's necessary. We live in a world of crazy people who do bad things, and I'm glad that there's laws that keep them caged up, right? In a way. I'm glad there's things that are disincentives for people to steal or to, to murder people or to do all kinds of stuff. I'm glad that that's there, but the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom that we're part of, I don't want it to be like that always. See, if you take that justice and you add love to it, it can transform you first and it can transform others because you're giving them something they can never have, they know they don't deserve it. It feels weird, almost wrong. 
And it's hard for us to do. There's nothing more um, offensive in the Christian message than grace. There just isn't. But we're called to be grace-filled people, aren't we? And so let's let justice bring us to the end, right? The, the teleos to make us perfect. And if we're going to do that, we have to fulfill it with love. So we look at justice. What do I owe? From the tiniest things, from the little slights that you have between your friends and family members, are you right fighting? Stop it. Fight for what the other person needs. Be the first to say, I forgive you because they don't deserve it. Be the first to declare peace inside of a home at war. Be the first to go if there's someone who has something against you to go and to be proactive, to be a peacemaker, to be one who resolves conflict, not because people deserve it, but precisely because they need it. Be the first. Let love perfect your justice. And that's how we get to the end. And we do this because we're called to a different kingdom and we have a different kind of father and we should act more like him. So be perfect, because your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's get to the end of this together. Which reminds me of how Jesus then completed this whole message, right? All of the Sermon on the Mount, which is our anchor verse, which I hope that you have been memorizing. Because this is really cool stuff today, isn't it? This is empowering. You are freed up to have peace now in your life, in your home, and with those crazy neighbors you live around. You have God calling you to a higher and a better way to be. And he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everybody else in this world hates their enemies. Everybody else in this world is about what they can get. They're going to be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, justice for justice, right? It's all they're going to be. And they're going to live that way forever, and their lives are going to be constantly in turmoil because of it. But you have been called, and you have given the keys to higher ground. So practice this, my, my family. Practice this this week. Begin to, to have love perfect your, your, the law. Have love fulfill the, and, and perfect justice. It changes you. It changes everything. And so with that, I have a couple things that I, I, of course, I always have next steps for you because we're followers of Jesus. We're not just observers of Jesus. That, that'd be cool, but pointless. Followers are building the right. How do we build our lives on these teachings? On your connection card, you take them out. i got four suggestions for you. You can do one, two, three, or all four of them or something else, too. You can read 1 John. Why? Here's a guy who was changed by love, who started out as a son of thunder when he was a... Uh, people in Samaria were being nasty to Jesus. He's like, well, just call down fire on these people. And, right? It, that's, he's so much like me. And what does God do with him? Well, read First John, because I think you're going to find there was a whole different transformation, a different kind of law that he ran into that changed him and thousands of years and, and millions of billions of people's lives because of that. Read First John. It's, it's powerfully transformative. A man who was an uh, apostle, who was impacted by love in, in a deep and profound way. Something else you want to do is meditate on Matthew 7, 24. That's our memory passage. That's our anchor verse. That's the thing. I asked you to memorize it all the way before, and now I'm asking you to meditate on it. That's not going, hmm, right? But it's thinking about how it applies to your life. Uh, you know, anyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus said, right, is like a wise man, right, who builds his house upon the rock. That, that's who you want to be. So think about it this week, especially in terms of justice and love. How is that applying to you? Take some time this week, even today if you want, 
and spend some time just in quiet, just you and God. Turn your cell phone off. Get away from your computer, right? Go away from those things and spend time and have God allow that word really think through. Chew on it. It's like, how is this being applied? How am I putting my life on a higher ground with these truths? Something else you want me to commit to is be perfect or at least perfected. Get to the end of it. Don't give up because you're flawed like me. There is a call in your heart to perfection because your heavenly Father, that's in His DNA. So get there. Let the law be fulfilled in you. How do you do it? Love. That's how you're going to do it. You're going you're to allow love to fulfill the law. You're going to have love to, to perfect the justice in you. You're going to start being outward focused instead of selfish. Begin to practice that. And maybe that's your commitment this week. There might be somebody right now that you're thinking of that you your enemy, and, and this is something you're going to have to pray for them and to bless them and then not to retaliate against them. Maybe there's somebody that, that you're going to say, you know what, they don't deserve to have my forgiveness, but I'm going to give it to them anyway because I'm free to do that now in Christ. Choose to take steps in the direction towards Christ. Get to the end, the teleos, be perfected. Maybe that's your thing. Something else you might want to need to do is be baptized. This is an important step of faith. Jesus said, if you're, if you're a follower of his, and baptism means to be immersed in water. Why? There's a lot of reasons. And if you want to find out those, you can talk to me after the service because I'm going to have a little powwow for those who want to learn about it. But it's an important step of faith that God tells us to do. And if you've never been immersed as an expression of your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're kind of missing out on a lot of really great things. So if you need to take that step, we don't do that because the law says we have to. It's expression of love towards God. And if that's what you need to do, we're going to be having a baptism service next Sunday. We'd love to have you a part of it. Maybe that's your thing. Or if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then make today that day a much better king. Aren't you glad that our king isn't one just about the legalistic things that just force you to do what you have to, that changes you from the inside out, who gives you grace and mercy and kindness? He's not going to reject you because you sin. In fact, he came to save you because you sin. And that you're not saved by doing some masterful, amazing thing to earn your spot in his kingdom. It's been earned for you. You're saved by God's grace through your faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you need to make that decision, then, then I need you to let me know that because as a pastor, that's what I help people do. We're going to help you start that path to express your faith and belief and confession, repentance and baptism and discipleship. And you're going to grow up and grow strong in that faith. And you're going to become perfect. It's going to be awesome. So start that today if that's what you need to do. And if you have questions about it, well, come talk with me or Pastor Jesse, or most anybody here. We would love to tell you about how to follow Jesus Christ. All right, hopefully all of you have something that I've encouraged you and the Holy Spirit's prompted you to do this week. Build your house on higher ground. Now I want you to just put that on your connection card so I can be praying for you this week because there'll be resistance. As you do, make sure you mark down any of your prayer requests because we pray for you those as well. And then in a moment, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I encourage everyone, please drop those green connection cards in the offering basket as it's passed, right? Your first commitment to worship God with your whole life this week. All right, let me pray for you as you make those, and then we'll have a time of commitment and worship. Heavenly Father, thank you that you didn't come to destroy us, you came to save us. We thank you for the wonderful law of love, that it sets us free from the cage of just this legalistic, uh, self-centered way of living. Father, I thank you that you didn't call us uh, because we're perfect, but you called us to perfection because we were not. And you gave us a better way to live life. I pray that you would uh, take our, uh, our commitments today and draw us closer to you. May they be expressions of our love for you and for love for others. It's going to be really hard to apply these things to fulfill the law. It's a high calling. 
So, Lord, we pray for your help in that and keep us from discouragement, Lord. Would we keep at it until we get there? Lord, I pray too for our tithes and offerings that you would use them to build your kingdom in this uh, community for your glory. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus who saves us. Amen.